Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm Matt Popovitz, and with me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, we've got a doozy of a topic today, don't we? It's a good one. We're going to talk about hell. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> hell, fire, brimstone, all that stuff. That's what we all get to talk stuff. about today. Yeah. Who picks these topics? Like who decides this? Is it you and me? I think so. I think it's us. That's, yeah. It's us. Yeah. We have no yeah. one to blame but ourselves. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So so who are we going to talk to? Who's our who's our hell expert, Rachel? We're going to we're going to talk to Chad Bird. Chad Bird. Yes, Chad is a scholar in residence at 1517. He served as a pastor, professor, guest lecturer in Old Testament and Hebrew. He holds a master's degree from Concordia Theological Seminary and Hebrew Union College. He's written a ton of articles, some really great books, my favorite of which is called The Christ Key, Unlocking the Centrality of Christ in the Old Testament. Fantastic book. He's also a Texan, which is where you and I live. So that makes That's him right. extra special. So so Chad's going to be our expert talking about hell today. What are some of the things you want to ask him about this difficult, sensitive, somewhat mm-hmm. hard topic? Yeah. So thinking about this and preparing for this podcast, I really had to step back and go, how much of what I believe about hell yeah. is because I was because I discovered it for myself from reading the Bible and what God's revealed to me, or is because of uh, movies and cartoons and Dante's Inferno uh, versus you know the reality. So I'm interested in fleshing some of that out and and uh, really just what are we talking about when we talk about hell? Uh, Because I think it's become so convoluted and it means something Mm -hmm. different than what maybe what it actually is. So I'm interested to hear from him. What about you? What are you eager to hear about? Well, you know, Chad, Chad is an Old Testament expert, and so mm-hmm. uh, I really want to hear from him uh, what what um, what of our common understanding of hell comes from the Old Testament, and and really when you when you talk about Old Testament people of faith, what was their picture of hell, yeah. and and how does that differ from what we believe today, and then maybe like connect that to 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 Jesus and what he taught about it, and, and see where those things line up, maybe see where they differ, and then I probably also want to ask him about like some 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 of the theological things, like there's some yeah. different different important like theological positions about what hell is and ha- and how we should see it and and I would love to ask him you know which of those views in his mind has the most kind of biblical support so, so we're gonna yeah we're gonna go a bit into the weeds with with Chad but um but nice. I think it's gonna be worth it because he's crazy smart but also man he's a he's a great make it simple guest because he you know he makes it simple makes so it simple. let's do it all right let's dive in Chad Bird, it's so good to see you and to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Really uh, been looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, we've got an interesting one in front of us. We are going to – today Today we're going to talk about hell. Aren't you glad you said yes to this invitation? <laughs> yeah, I sure did. Yeah. I think uh, – I couldn't resist the dad joke. I think when I emailed you back, I said, yeah, it's a hot topic. So uh, yeah. Yes, yes, it is. Definitely <laughs> one that you, uh, that you need to talk, mm-hmm. you need to talk about. It, it very much is, you know. Uh, you know, it's it's a question that I get you know, as a pastor all the time. Is 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 really what what we would call like the the uh, the the problem the problem of evil. You know, why, why do why do bad people and bad things exist in the first place, which then necessitate uh, a place for bad people to go, like hell. Like, wh- why why are we even here? Why does this even exist? And and what I want to do today is is not really 
so much dive into that question, but really try and wrap our minds around what we're talking about in the Christian faith anyway, when we talk about hell. Uh, where where does this notion come from? Uh, what does the Old Testament say about it in particular? Because I know that's that's really your area of, of of profound expertise, and 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 then maybe shift into wrestling with some of the the implications of of this belief for us. So 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 really, let's just start there, Chad. I mean, you are an Old Testament guy. Um, where where in the Old Testament do we do we see? Do we get? Do we derive this this idea of hell? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of different passages uh, which which we'll we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, I think one thing that's important to keep in mind as we're as we're talking about this is the language itself. Uh, you're depending on which translation you use, uh, you're going to have certain words translated as hell, perhaps translated as the grave, sometimes translated as death uh, or the pit. So sometimes the Hebrew word behind all of those translations is the same, but depending on the context in which you're talking about, it's going to be translated translated differently. And of course, the same thing applies with the Greek of the New Testament. So there's a, there's a couple of different Hebrew words that we find in, in multiple places used in multiple ways, which eventually work their way through the Old Testament and then even into the New Testament in their Greek counterparts, which are sometimes at least translated as hell. The first of these is Sheol. Now, Sheol is, uh, is, is, is a word that's you know, fairly well known, at least among people who are or students of the scriptures. And it, it's one of those words that uh, can mean just a multiplicity of different things. It can mean simply a bad place. Just like we, sa- we say sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm just going through hell right now. Hmm. What we mean, of course, is we're going through a really rough patch in life. Maybe we've had a loss. Maybe we're sick. Whatever it is, uh, it's, it's an, a period of intense suffering for us. And so we, of course, will use that image of hell. We're going through hell. And something like that does often happen in the Old Testament, except they would say, I'm going through Sheol, <laughs> meaning I'm in a low spot because Sheol is pictured geographically as at the bottom. So you don't go up to Sheol, you go down to Sheol. Hmm. So sometimes it's in reference to kind of a, a dark pit-like, exist, pit-like existence in life. Also, it's used as kind of the general place that you go, whoever you are, when you die. So just like we might say that someone, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, goes to the grave. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Hebrews would say a believer and unbeliever goes to Sheol. So it is used in that sort of way. But there are also some occasions when Sheol takes upon this fairly specific meaning of not just a hard place and not just the place of the grave, but a place of punishment, which in that case, it would be appropriate to translate that as, as hell. So Sheol is the one Hebrew word that occurs a lot of different times in a lot of different ways in the Old Testament. Now, that is translated different ways, but it's always that same, always the same word. The other one is, at least for, uh, for a guy like me who loves languages, even more fascinating, and that is Gehenna. Hmm. So what is, what is Gehenna? Well, Gehenna is, is literally from the name of a specific valley outside Jerusalem, believe it or not. It's called Gehinnom in Hebrew. So Geh just means valley. Hinnom is a guy's name. So at one point in Israel's history, or even pre-Israel's history, there was a guy named Hinnom, and he evidently owned the valley or lived near this valley, which was right outside Jerusalem. And so it was called the Valley of Hinnom, Gehinnom. But over time, this particular valley outside Jerusalem came to be associated 
with idolatry and some of the worst idolatry, even child sacrifice, just some really horrific things happened in the Valley of Hinnom, in Gay Hinnom. And so what happened is that that place came to be associated, kind of metaphorically, we might say, with the place of eternal punishment, with, with hell itself. And so that, and that comes in directly from Hebrew, Gehenom, comes directly from Hebrew into Greek as Gehenna. And so you have Gehenna used a whole lot of times in the New Testament. And Gehenna is almost always, in fact, I think if memory serves me correctly here, always in the New Testament translated as hell. Hmm. So when you're reading through the New Testament and you come across hell, chances are it is Gehenna that is, that is behind that. But it all started out as just a place. It was Gehenom. It was the Valley, Valley of Hinnom. So those are the two, uh, kind of a long answer, uh, at least to your, to your first question. But that, those are the two Hebrew words that we're dealing mm-hmm. with here. And they're found in, in multiple places. Sheol is one and Gehenna is, is another. Uh, there's a couple of other exceptions uh, just used once or twice, uh, like Abaddon is another word that's used, but those are the two, two main words that are used. So that's, that's the Hebrew. Uh, and there's some specific passages we can look at if, if you want to as well that are kind of the, the, the touchstone for an Old Testament understanding of, of what hell is. Our kiddo definitely has big emotions. And part of it is that, you know, those tantrums were lasting for a really long amount of time, like way above what I think they say. I mean, yeah, they were just so long. So I think for sure with some of the techniques, like the light switch, which was one of the first things we learned with you guys, the duration of those immediately started to cut down. Do we see in the Old Testament God actually sending people to Gehenna, sending people to Sheol as a form of punishment? Is that something that we see talked about, depicted in the Old Testament? Yeah, the one that comes immediately to mind is something that happened when the Israelites were in the the 40 years of wilderness wilderness, wilderness wanderings, and there was a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And if you're familiar with that history, you know that that wasn't a one-time occurrence. That happened a lot. Uh, It was a not a very happy time for the leadership of Israel. Let's, let's put it that way, because there are always, always rebellions. And, and on one of these, it was basically uh, who's in charge kind of argument. Who did God select as a leader? And when God proved that, uh, he showed who he had chosen. And then as a punishment for the, the people who were challenging the leadership of Moses and Aaron, the earth swallowed up. So God opened up the earth and they went down alive to Sheol. They went down alive into the pit. So that is certainly one instance where God actively takes someone down into hell or sends them to hell, as, as we might say. Can I back up a little bit and ask a question? So um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of my ideas of hell are more rooted in pop culture or in things like that. So when, you know, which is obviously very different than these New Testament or Old Testament writers and what they meant. So just a little bit more high level, when we talk about hell, as believers, what are we talking about? Yeah, well, it, uh, it, it kind of depends on which passage you want to use to describe it, because there's multiple different ways in which hell is described. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of these, uh, which we'll get to, get to in a minute, is taken from the last chapter of Isaiah. And there, hell is pictured almost as sort of a battlefield scene where the, those who have rebelled against God are pictured in it, it's 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 a very kind of grotesque image but they're pictured as slain on the battlefield and it says their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched mm-hmm. so they're, they're kind of pictured as 
in hell in the sense that they've been slain on the battlefield and <laughs> I don't want to go see anybody out, but I mean, that's the image you've got kind of, you know, the fire and maggots yeah. and everything else. So it's, that's the, the gr- one gruesome image. There's also the image of hell as uh, a lake of fire that we find in Revelation. So mm-hmm. if you're going to jump forward to, to the end. Uh, and fire is often associated. In fact, mm-hmm. fire is the dominant image that is associated with hell. Of course, that's, that's no surprise. I mean, that, that, of course, is one accurate reflection of hell from the pop culture. Fire is always, always associated right. with that. The question is, of course, what purpose does fire serve? Mm-hmm. Because, of course, as we know, fire serves a multitude of purposes. It, right. it, it, it refines, uh, it warms, mm-hmm. and it destroys. So you also have to ask yourself a question. Okay, if fire is most commonly associated with hell, what's, it, what's its purpose? And depending on which, which interpreter, which theologian, uh, which tradition you ask, you're probably going to get different answers, different answers to that question. But in general, to get right to your question, hell is the place, I guess we might say, uh, the, the situation in which after death, God places those who have rejected his saving work in Christ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hesitated when I said place because, you know, mm-hmm. do we call it a place? Do we call it a situation? Do we call it uh, uh, just a kind of an experience? It's sometimes difficult to wrestle with language. Uh, I think it's best probably just to kind of stick with whatever the scriptures s- say to use their metaphors mm-hmm. and to understand there's a little bit of flexibility with the understanding of those metaphors. But that in general is, is the way it's depicted for us. Mm-hmm. But but we are led to we led to believe and confess that that whether you call it a situation or a place, it's it's real, right? It's real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not just a not just sort of a it's not a veiled threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something which is just a kind of a you know a, a mythic portrayal of what happens after someone dies. No, it, it, hell is real, just as real as God is, just as real as, as heaven is, just as real as our salvation is. So there is a a reality to it. And this reality is going to be something which those who have rejected the saving work of Christ will, will experience. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's not simply like a parent might sometimes issue uh, an empty threat to their child <laughs> to keep them from doing something. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's as real as the God who speaks it is, is real himself. Chad, from from your from your study and in, in, in your understanding, did did Old Testament believers, as we might call them, did did they see as much of a conflict with the reality of hell and the goodness of God as as modern people tend to perceive? Because that's often what I what I hear from people as in my congregation as I lead people, they 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 hear about this reality of hell and then they they can't square that with the goodness, the holiness, uh, the the purity of God. Uh, is that struggle something that exists for people who were people of faith in the Old Testament and the early days of Christianity even? Is that, is that mm-hmm. something that exists there? I, I've seen really no evidence for it, to be, to be honest. Uh, I understand that, that, I mean, I ask those same questions myself. I think it's pretty common for us as Christians to say, how do you square the goodness and the, and the love of God with the idea of hell? Uh, it, so it's a it's a it's a struggle which it's not it's not original with us. This is something which has always been something which believers have grappled with. However, the evidence in the in the that we have at least written down for us in the Old Testament and New Testament does not point to anyone specifically asking that question. 
there are plenty of questions about earthly justice. You know, why do the wicked prosper mm-hmm. is, is a common question that, that people will ask. So or why, you know, why do bad things happen to good people, as, as we sometimes say, or why do good things happen to bad people? So those, those kinds of questions are couched in the Old Testament. Of course, mm-hmm. Job is a great example of that, mm-hmm. a righteous sufferer. But I don't know of any evidence in the Old Testament or New Testament where there seems to be a suggestion of, you know, how can there be a hell if God is so loving and good? Hmm. Especially in the Old Testament. It, sure. You do have this kind of, uh, what's the best way to put it? There is this just kind of acceptance sometimes that God is God and we're not in the Old Testament, even by people that you wouldn't expect it from. What I'm thinking of is Eli. He was a, Eli was, a, was an old priest who had done a terrible job of being a dad. His, his sons were corrupt priests. And when the young boy, Samuel, who was going to grow up and be a prophet, when the young boy, Samuel, received a vision which God basically said to, to eat, told Samuel to tell Eli that his two sons would die. And Samuel reluctantly tells Eli that Eli basically says, well, it's, it's God's word. Uh, so I, I guess that's just the way that it is, you know, not the, not the response that we would expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I do find that very common in the old Testament where, well, this is God. God has done this. If God has, is sending people there, then, uh, that his, his prerogative, his power, his authority. Yeah. Chad, what about Jesus's story that he tells about the rich man and Lazarus? Um, is that is that to be understood um, as a, uh, a a literal description of what what hell is like? Um, and for those who and for those who aren't familiar with that story, would you be willing to just give us a quick recap of it? Yeah. So uh, the the quick recap would be that there was a rich man and there was a poor man. And the rich man fared sumptuously every day and basically just ignored the needs of the, of the poor man. The poor man was so poor that he was laid at the gate. He was a beggar. Dogs came and licked his sores. They were, as it were, his only friends. And one day he died and the rich man died. And the poor man went into the bosom of Abraham, which was a, a Jewish conception of, of heaven. And uh, the poor man went into, into Hades. I mean, the rich man went into Hades. And so there's, there's this scene where the rich man is, is begging Abraham to send Lazarus, the poor man, with some water, just even to mm. touch his tongue with it and cool him in these in those flames. So that's kind of the the layout of the story. Yeah. I would be I would be very hesitant to to draw any specific conclusions with regard to the architecture of hell from that because it's a parable, and we all know that that parables uh, are while they draw upon real situations, don't necessarily translate into how things are. In fact, Jesus oftentimes will tell parables that are the same on the surface to be outlandish <laughs> because they right. don't match our expectations of how things right. work in this, in this world. So uh, for that reason, I'd be very hesitant to say that, oh yeah, because, because the parable describes Hades as this place where there's intense thirst uh, or where a person in Hades can look across this chasm as it were and see people in paradise. Uh, because it's a parable, I would I would be uh, very hesitant to make any draw any conclusions based to, based upon that. But but Hades is another another term that's used to describe the reality of hell, correct? Yes, yes. Hades yeah. uh, occurs quite frequently in the in the New Testament. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, there's there's Greek. You know, the Greeks had their their Hades as well. 
But Hades is used predominantly to describe hell in, in the New Testament. There's a couple of exceptions where in the book of Acts where it just refers to the grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the situ- most of the time that it's used in the New Testament, it refers to what we would what we refer to as as hell. You've got in the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament, you've got all these different words that that, that that can refer to, can be translated as hell, sometimes refer to death, sometimes as the, the grave. Uh, but in one way or another, they all do point to this specific, specific place that mm-hmm. Isaiah talks about, that Daniel in chapter 12 talks about. So it has its roots in the Old Testament. The Old Testament believers were cognizant of, of this place. Not a lot is said about it. But it is known to the Old Testament believers, and then it it kind of waits for the New Testament to have a more uh, more broad unveiling of exactly what are what what it's like, uh, who goes there, and all those all those details. Chad, what's your sense of of, of how much attention and focus should the the reality of hell get in the life? Of a believer, I ask because you know, in some Christian traditions, people make a a big deal about hell. They almost use it as a primary evangelism tool, a mm-hmm. giant scare tactic. It's, it's kind yes. of a constant topic of conversation of who's going to go there, who's not. Please do everything you can to avoid it. Um, what's your sense based on just study of scriptures, being a being being a scholar of God's word, of how much how much attention should uh, the person of faith, or, or the really even you could say maybe the person who's really interested in faith, give to the reality of hell, the idea of it. Yeah, I think there's a there's a to kind of uh, riff off of of, of C.S. Lewis here. You know, in, in the uh, the Screw Tape Letters, he said there's two mistakes you can make with regard to demons. Uh, you can either deny their existence altogether, or you can focus on them too much. Hmm. And it's kind of like that, kind of like that with hell too. I I yeah. grew up in a uh, I grew up in a church where. Uh, I had a steady diet of hell sermons. <laughs> I was a, uh, I was, I was under the impression that the Bible, you know, eighty percent of the Bible was about was about hell, uh, based upon the the sermons that I heard that were, in in some ways centered around that. So that is one that is one ditch that you can fall into, and I think the other ditch is simply, and maybe this is more common today, uh, is not to talk about it either at all or or not very much. Um, yeah. We like to talk about heaven, obviously. We like to talk about the eternity of the blessed, but that really is only one part of the story. There is another another side to this story. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking just to, just today, in fact, uh, it you know one of these things that just never struck me before. But I was thinking about our our upcoming conversation, and you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Well, what was one of the first things that the devil tried to convince humanity of, and that is that there are no implications to rebellion yeah. against God. Hmm. You know, he tried to get Eve to believe that, you know, you're not going to die. You know, if, if you if you rebel against God, there's not going to be consequences attached to that. So talking about those consequences, talking about punishment, talking about what happens to those who steadfastly say no, no, no to God's offer of forgiveness and grace in Christ is something that does need to be, does need to be talked about and needs to be explained and needs to be needs to be understood, not in order to, as it were, scare people into heaven, right. uh, but in order that we know that God is a God of grace, to be sure, but also a God of, of judgment. And ultimately, there is a place, there is a place of judgment, uh, which those who don't want to have anything to do with God 
who say no to him, that is, that is where, that is where they go. Um, yeah, that's a good word. Cause I think there's, there can be a tendency to, like you said, either think about it too much or you almost go, well, this isn't my problem. So, you know, or I've checked a box. Um, but so it leads me to the question, like, so what would you say is Jesus's relationship to hell? Like how can, how do we, how do we bring those two together? Yeah, that's a, that, I mean, that really kind of gets to the, the heart of the matter because mm-hmm. what does Christ have to do with hell? Right. Uh, and the, the main answer here is he is the one who makes sure that people don't end up there. <laughs> if, yes, there yes. if there's one most important thing to say, it, it is that. Uh, he comes to rescue us from sin. He comes to rescue us from the power of the devil. And he comes to rescue us from, from hell. Uh, he is the one who on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why, you fors- why have you forsaken me? He endures that forsakenness, that, that fiery exile from the presence of God for us, precisely in order that we might not have to endure that fiery exile, mm-hmm. exile from God. So that is the, the most important answer that, that we can give to that. Um, the second part of that is that he is the one who is the, the judge of the living and the dead. He is the, mm. the ultimate judge. Yeah. Uh, and so, as he himself tells in the parable of the sheep and the goats, there will come a time when he does make a separation. Uh, his, his, work was not, his work of salvation for us was not simply to, uh, w- was not, as it were, unnecessary because everyone was going to be saved anyway. Mm-hmm. His work of salvation was necessary in order that we might have salvation. But for those, and I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but I really mm-hmm. want to stress this, for those who steadfastly say no to God, mm-hmm then that merciful savior also is a truthful judge. And he will say, well, okay. Uh, since uh, again, to, to riff off St. C.S. Lewis here, since, since you won't say for my will to be done, then I will say for your will to be done. And mm-hmm. so you will, if you want nothing to do with my father and his grace, then here you go. This is the, this is the place for you, even though that's not what Christ wants for any of us. Yeah. And and in that sense, hell becomes you getting what you've wanted, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, that is the strange irony that uh, hell is for those who wish to go there, because mm-hmm. heaven is for those. Heaven is heaven is not just kind of a really awesome vacation place that you can go <laughs> and just live it up. <laughs> right. Heaven is all centered not upon our kind of earthly enjoyments or carnal pleasures, as it were, but heaven is all wrapped up in Christ. That's the entire reason for us to, to want to, to be there. And so for those who don't really have any interest in, in, interest in Christ or in God and his grace, then why would they want to go to heaven? Because hmm. it's, it's, it's all about Jesus. Yeah. So in that way, hell is, uh, no, one goes, no one goes to hell who doesn't want to go there, Yeah. Uh, to, to sum it up. Well, one of the things that comes to mind for me um, as as we talk about this, and uh, Rachel, your, your question, you know, what's what's the relationship of Jesus to hell? One of the things that first popped into into my mind was what we what we confess in the creeds that that Jesus descended into hell. Like it's a place like he's actually been to for us. Yes. We, we and we confess not not to suffer because everything was done on the cross, but like as a victory lap, like he's gone down to the place nobody wants to go, right? And he's yeah. done a victory lap, but he's been there for us. And for, I, I don't, I, I can't really explain why, but for me, that's a, just a really powerful thought that he's been to that place for me to proclaim my victory 
over that place, right? Um, yeah, and in that way, he's kind of like the, the, yeah, it's, in that way, he's kind of like the the Old Testament uh, scapegoat, as it's often translated. Mm-hmm. That goat was sent out into the wilderness, bearing the and this is important, bearing the sins that had been atoned for on his head, in mm-hmm. order to bear witness to the evil one that was associated with the wilderness that those sins could not be held against the Israelites. So in that way, Christ is is like that goat. He goes out into the place of 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 death and and hell, in order to give witness to the fact that my sins and your sins, the sins of all humanity, have been forgiven, and therefore cannot be used to accuse us any longer. Hmm. That that finger of accusation cannot be leveled against us anymore because that finger of accusation finally was pointed at Christ, who atoned for those sins once and for all. So, so really, you know, talk, coming back to the part of the conversation where we're, we're asking, like, what should the focus for the believer be on hell? For, for, for those who have faith in Christ, for those who who um, are, are baptized into his name, connected to all the things he's done for us, right? You know, he- hell should really cease to be this thing that we fear whatsoever, right? Like, we, we, we should not be constantly living in fear of it as though we might accidentally fall into it, step into it, be sent to it, because if we're, for the Christian, for the Christian believer, if we're attached to Christ, th- that's, the notion of hell is out of the picture for us completely. Right, Chad? Yes, absolutely. So, Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation yeah. for those who are in Christ Jesus. You could paraphrase that, there's therefore now no hell for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, because that has already been taken care of on the cross. Mm-hmm. So the, no condemnation, no hell, no punishment, uh, nothing like that, because all of that has found its place once and for all in, in Christ. And so for those of us who are in him, hell is is not a possibility because all of that has already been achieved on, on our behalf. And so mm-hmm. there's no fear of hell. There's just a hopeful expectation of of heaven, and the final resurrection in the new heavens and and the new earth. Chad, what about what about some of the different views of of hell uh, that exist, like from from a theological perspective? Um, you've got um, uh, let's see if I can remember the right names: eternal conscious torment, uh, yes. the the idea yes. that we are forever aware of the pain that we're enduring in a very real hell. Uh, there's also kind of on the other end of the spectrum. There's annihilationism. That mm-hmm. there's there's not a place that we reside apart from God for etern- eternally, but either instantaneously or over the course of time we are we are annihilated completely. There's just there's we cease to exist. Um, uh, what do you see from your from your studies in the old of, of the Old Testament, but really the whole scriptures, um, to be the the uh, the most biblically supported view of what hell is actually like? Is it? Annihilation? Is it eternal conscious torment, which is like the most horrifying title for anything? But what, what do you see? You like stories of inspiration, stories of faith, stories of encouragement. Then I hope you will check out my podcast where I interview people of faith who share their stories of encouragement, their stories of inspiration, their stories of hope, and overcoming trials and difficulties that they have faced in their life and that we have faced in our lives as well. Hope you check it out.
<laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll be, I'll be completely frank with you. Um, yeah. I struggle and I go back and forth between those positions. I'll be, I can be completely honest with you. Uh, yeah, same on the one hand, uh, it, I do find it extremely difficult to get around some of the, what, what in my view is pretty straightforward language with regard to uh, a terribly named eternal conscious torment, uh, understanding right. of, of biblical passages, uh, especially in Revelation where, it, you know, it talks about the torment going on uh, forever, day and night mm-hmm. with, in, in the lake of fire. So I think there's a, there's certainly, you got two things on your side. If, if you're kind of the eternal conscious torment understanding of hell, you got, first of all, that is the traditional church view of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some pretty strong uh, biblical passages that, that are uh, often used and, uh, and used persuasively to argue for that position. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, there are some very strong arguments also, uh, the, well, I call the terminator position. <laughs> the idea <laughs> that it's a, it's a, it's a terminal annihilation. You could call it a, you know, mm-hmm. this idea that, uh, there will maybe, like, as you said, either immediately or over the course of time, uh, basically an annihilation of the person who has been sent to, sent to hell. And some of the strongest arguments there are the image of death. I mean, if there is a, another, besides fire, another very common ev- metaphor connected with hell, it is that of, 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 of death. We call it, in fact, everlasting death. Well, when I die, I'm no longer here, right? I'm, I'm no longer among the living. I have ceased to exist in that sort of way. And so they would argue that's what hell is. Uh, it's everlasting death in the sense that this person goes there and they die forever. There is, mm-hmm. there is no more person, so there's no eternal conscious torment. Instead, it is the cessation of their existence, more or less. Mm-hmm. So um, while I do really like that idea, for one reason, it makes it more palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, I do struggle with reconciling that at least fully with many of the other biblical texts, which do yeah. suggest not annihilation, but some sort of ongoing, ongoing existence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if this is a rabbit trail or um, if this takes us off where we're headed. But um, when we talk about hell, like the imagery you also get is Satan. So I would ask, um, I don't know if there's a simple answer to this, but Satan's relationship with hell. Yeah, um, Jesus says in the parable of the, the, the sheep and the goats that hell has been paired, prepared for the devil and his angels, which I think is significant. So mm-hmm. it wasn't prepared for humanity. It was prepared for wow. the devil and, yeah. and his angels. So, yeah, I mean, that can be a rabbit trail. I'll, I'll just keep it real simple. So <laughs> Satan is, uh, uh, over time, in the course of the scriptures, uh, that becomes the title given to right. uh, the leader of the fallen angels, if you will. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, you can have a satan, just meaning a, kind of a, uh, an, an earthly opponent mm-hmm. or troublemaker. But that it does come to be the, the name of like the troublemaker, the accuser, Satan. And so that will be uh, his. That will be his eternal abode. That and the angels who have out- allied with him in the rebellion against God. So it's important to keep in mind that you know, contrary to like the Far Side cartoons and all the mm-hmm. other cartoons where you kind of have you know, it looks like the devils kind of have it made in hell. They're you know, right. They're uh, having a good time. Having a good time. They're pushing yeah. people around. Uh, Living in their neighborhood. Cold yeah. Coffee. All that. All that <laughs> terrible stuff. I mean. In the biblical depiction, it's it's quite the opposite, that it's just, just as much a place of judgment and punishment mm. for them. In fact, more so than it is for humanity. So heaven is created for humanity, but hell was created for the devil and his angels. 
And so for the humans who regrettably do end up there, they're in sort of an, an, an inhumane, if you will, uh, a, a, wow. an anti-human place. Yeah. This was That's not by any means what God desired, desired for them. That's a that's a great insight that um, is uh, at least for me just so easily overlooked. It was not prepared for humanity. It was pre- prepared for the devil and his angels. And so, for those who end up there, it will forever be um, a place that that of, of of discomfort just by nature of the fact that it's not for you, and yet you're there, right? Yeah, yeah. And that way, yeah. it really it fits with the the general understanding that we have in scripture of why God reconciles us to Christ to begin with. He, he reconciles us to Christ because he wants us to be the people he's created us to be. So he's not depriving us of anything. He's actually right. giving us everything. He's actually restoring mm. us to our full humanity in Christ. And so everything that is contrary to that is, as it were, subtracting our humanity. Mm. And so hell is the the ultimate end of that subtraction of humanity. It's like the mm. the most anti-human place that you can imagine because it's exactly where God doesn't want you to be and has done everything necessary so that you don't end up there. So it's it's like you have to really work hard to get to hell. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Because everything that everything about being a human, everything about what God has done for you is pulling you in in the other direction. Yeah. And that that brings to life maybe an interesting way to think about sin in general, of sin being choosing desiring that which is against god's design for us it's 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 to choose that your own dehumanization in many and various ways and and what and what god is inviting you to calling us out of sin is inviting us to be our true selves inviting us to be um who we were designed created intended to be and yet like a like a petulant child who doesn't realize they need a nap or a snack is just <laughs> saying no and desiring lesser things for themselves thinking that it's going to satisfy them yeah to uh to be fully human is to be is to live in the image and the likeness that God has made us to be. Mm-hmm. And so uh, even though sometimes, it, because we are sinners, it, it feels like if we go the way that God wants us to go, we're going against our nature. Well, that's just the, the lie that our sinful nature tells us. To, to go the way of God is always to go in the way of human flourishing. Mm. Because we're actually living in such a way that we are, we are comporting ourselves with who God has made us to be. The opposite, it's kind of like the analogy I like to use is, you know, asking people to live contrary to the way that God's made them to be is like asking a fish to live out of water. Mm-hmm. You, you're not freeing the fish by taking the fish out of the water. You're ensuring its death. Yeah. But by placing the fish in the water, by, by putting us where God made us to be, that is a place we can really live. We can really have peace. We can really flourish as, as humans because we are in sync with every tiny aspect of who God has made us to be. Hmm. That's a really beautiful way to look at it. Um, So Chad, I love the opportunity to talk to somebody who just knows what they know. Uh, So we asked you here to talk about hell. And I want to know if there's anything we haven't asked about or that you haven't gotten to say that you're like, this is what I'm excited about or what I want to talk about when we talk about hell. I want to hear from you. Um, Yeah. Like, like, what do you want to make sure you cover that maybe we haven't covered yet or we haven't touched on? I think that we, you know, I think that honestly, uh, we could spend hours uh, going over the various biblical passages, uh, talking about how the scriptures depict hell. But what I like to go back to over and over is something that we that we've we've already touched on, uh, and that is the real purpose of talking about hell 
is to move past talking about hell to talk about Christ. Mm. Yep. So I mean, yep. it, it, you know, it's it, it's simp- it's very easy to, for preachers to have uh, hellfire and uh, you know damnation sermons. Those are easy to preach. It's easy to preach against things. It's easy to talk about. You know, this is what's going to happen to you if you lead a life of of sin and rebellion against God. Uh, but th- that's kind of that's beside the point. The point is to get past hell to talk about the one who is the Lord of life and not just talk about heaven, but to talk about the one that heaven is, is all about. And, and that is Christ. So yes, it's good to talk about hell. It's, it's necessary for us to talk about hell because the scriptures do, but that is only to take us to the next subject. And that is the one who's conquered hell, the one who's the Lord of hell, the one who is not just the judge, but the judge who has, scars in his hands, which are betoken are tokens of his of his mercy and grace for us. No better point to uh to end our conversation than on that note right there. Chad, thanks so much for for taking the time and to uh uh for for being with us and talking about this with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Well Rachel, I'm just gonna say this that that discussion of hell was rather heavenly. It was quite (laughs) it's quite enjoyable. No. I, 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 yeah. I liked it. I mean, it's such a difficult topic, but Chad is, Ch- Chad does a great job of, I mean, uh, clearly he knows like the whole Bible. He Absolutely. knows all the history. He, he, he's an expert in the languages. And so, so he's a perfect person to really talk about with this. If you want to get the, like the biblical backstory behind hell. And I just, I'm, I'm really thankful to have him as a friend of the show. Cause he's a really, uh, just sure. a really, really insightful guy. Any, any, any big things stick out to you? Gosh. Um, you know, I love the opportunity to, to, these kind of topics that we do, like these biblical topics, um, I love just uh, learning more and separating my perceptions from the reality. So I appreciated that he brought up like specific things about this is what the Bible specifically mm-hmm. says. And it it really left me, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, this makes me want to get out my Bible and get a good resource and like dig yeah. into it a little bit more for myself and, and ask those questions. Because you don't, I do believe you don't have to be a Bible scholar. Um, you can like these, you can learn. And it, so it really left me want, like, just like wanting to learn more. Um, and and the other thing, um, you know, I went into this, I told my kids that we were going to be talking about this topic and, you know, they started, they started asking me a bunch of questions and I was like, gosh, I don't know. That's what I'm going to ask the expert. And I really felt like, like there are several things that I can sit down with them and talk about, um, and, and share with them. And ultimately that that's going to lead me back to a conversation about Jesus, which is my favorite thing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. What about you? Yeah, you know, I I loved you know how he how he answered the question that I asked him about um you know did did essentially ancient people old the old testament oh, yeah. believers and early new testament believers did they have the same kind of problem rationalizing God's goodness with the reality of hell that we moderns do and his straight answer was no you really don't see that that you know in the in the ancient world there was much more of an uh, there, there was a much clearer understanding that God is God and we are not and that God is by definition goodness, and therefore whatever he decides to do is right and good and just. Whatever he decides to do is the definition of good. And so to, to try and say, well, God God can't send people to hell is to try and bring God down to our level and force him to play by 
by our rules. Mm. And so and so just the clarity with which he said, no, we really don't see that in the scriptures. We, we don't see people shaking their fist at God and saying, it's not fair for you to hold people accountable. Certainly right. there are people who have questions about, you know, why he's allowing certain things to happen or, you know, people grieving, you know, uh, their own smallness in comparison to God's greatness. Right. But what we don't see is people saying, you know, you're not allowed to do this, God, which is really kind of a modern problem that right. people have with God. You know, and and I'm so glad you said that because there really is a lot of beauty and freedom in reaching a point where you just finally stop and go, but God is God and I am right. not. And yeah. I don't know if I have an appreciation for that because I'm an, a parent. And so I know the love I have for my child when I say, mm. you're not going to understand this, but I, I know. And so I know that that is just a small taste of like the love and the freedom that there really is in not understanding even the really hard things like justice and um, what feels so harsh can be actually really, um, gosh, I got a little emotional, just like, mm-hmm. like talking about hell can read you, lead you to a really beautiful understanding of God's very intense love for us. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, you, uh, you know, as a parent, I think, you know, that's the best kind of approach perhaps to try and understand our, you know, our relationship to God mm-hmm. in, in that, you know, very often you'll, you'll look at your kids, like you just said, and you'll say, you know, there's no way for you to understand this. You just have to trust me. And, and you, and you want your kids, especially when they're really young, you want them to, to be able to enjoy the freedom that they have and not having to bear the burden yeah. of, of figuring out what's just and and yeah. who deserves what you want them to do like you, you realize you, you are asking to put this problem on your shoulders mm-hmm. but it's mine and i'm trying to keep it as mine and i want you to run free and just and just enjoy the things i've given you and and so often i think when it comes to like the problem of evil mm-hmm. or the reality of hell we we do that we try to take well god i want that burden of knowing what you know and yeah. and and having the answer to why to, to all these different things, I want that on my shoulders. And God is looking at at us, going, "No, you you don't. No, you don't. I'm trying, you I'm, really I want to <laughs> I want to free you from that because that question is going to crush you, and only my shoulders are wide enough and capable enough for it. So, so yeah, I think you know it's um it's it's a it's a deep and profound conversation. It really is. Yeah. So 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 Rachel, what is your make it simple soundbite in our conversation about hell with Chad Bird? You know, when he said that hell was not intended for humanity, that hell was intended for the devil or the enemy, the accuser, um, and, and his angels and heaven was, was his plan was, was what he created for humanity. That's just such a, man, that hit me in the feels where it's like, oh, this was never God's intention to be like, I'm going to pick some favorites and those get to live with me and screw the rest <laughs> yeah, of you. Right, like, right, right. like, like it was not intended for humanity. And I can see how that would grieve the heart of God. And just, um, again, uh, like that's a really important thing for me to hold on to. Cause I do like, I have a renewed sense of like, I'm not going to treat hell. Like it's not my problem. I think it's a really good thing for me to sit and consider. And that's what I want to yeah. really sit with. Um, yeah. so what about you? What's your soundbite takeaway? You know, you know, I think my son, there were, there were several really good things. I think, I think, I think my soundbite and takeaway is going to be that conversations about hell ultimately need to lead to conversations about hope yeah. that, you know, uh, if, if we just focus on, on hell or we, we obsess over the reality of it, the necessity of it, but we never get to uh, a conversation about hope that for people of faith um, in our tradition is 
Christ, then then it's 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 a frustrating and ultimately futile conversation. That that any conversation about hell is meant to be a midway point on the way to something better and something mm-hmm. greater, which for us, you know, for you and me, and for, I think for several of our listeners is, is Jesus who's conquered it and who's done a victory lap in it and tells you, you don't have to worry about any of that mm-hmm. because I've overcome it and I've given that victory to you. And so that, that's what sticks out for me, that a mm-hmm. uh, conversation about how ultimately has to lead to hope. So for our listeners, what about you? What sticks out to you? What's your make it simple soundbite from this really interesting conversation about hell with Hebrew scholar Chad Bird? We'd love to know, and we'd love for you to drop a comment over on Instagram on the post about this episode. You can head to our Instagram handle. It's at, it's at M Popovitz, at M-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S. Drop a comment there. Tell us what you think about this episode or any other episode. And in particular, let us know what your takeaway was from this conversation with Chad Bird. All right, that's it. That's all we got, Rachel. That's good. What do you I want to say, I want to promote our people, especially because I just find I have deep love for the yeah. people who join us. So he has a podcast called, uh, yeah. so listen to our podcast, but listen to his podcast too. 40 minutes uh, in the old Testament. That's what it's right. 40 minutes in the old Testament. And if you're like me and you love, I love this deep dive stuff. And so yeah. I would just promote people to head over there um, and listen to his podcast. If you liked what you ha- heard from Chad. Today. Yeah, it's it's a great podcast hosted by two great guys, mm-hmm. Chad Bird and Dan Price. Uh, mm-hmm. It's fantastic. You can find it anywhere podcasts are are distributed. You can also find it apparently now in like the YouVersion app. You know the Bible app yeah. everybody has on their phone. Yeah. You can find <laughs> this amazing. podcast in that app, and there's only like a handful of them there, so it's featured there. That tells you how good it is. That tells you how good yeah. it is. All right, awesome. Thanks for that, Rachel. Yeah, and thanks uh, thanks everybody else for listening. We'll see you next time. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.